This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Keegan Prue. He calls himself the IVF Dad and has written a book by that name. Prue and his wife, Olivia Cohen Prue, struggled to start a family for five years, including three cycles of in vitro fertilization and two miscarriages before their daughter, Eliza, was born. To cope with the anxiety, Prue did massive amounts of research, and he wrote. Now, to help other men, Prue has written a book, Radical, in its fight against ingrained cultural stereotypes that real men don't share their pain and that they're not good at caring for themselves. In our small Victorian village in upstate New York, Halloween is a big deal. Hundreds of kids crisscross the streets seeking to load their baskets and bags with treats. Families travel into the village and park from miles away, knowing that tree-lined streets are safe and easy to traverse, while kids relish the sheer volume of houses they can attack one by one. It's a special time for the whole town, a festive night in which the best characteristics of the close-knit village community are on display. But this Halloween night was a uniquely special one for me and Olivia. Earlier that afternoon, we received news we had anticipated for a very long time. We had completed our first IVF embryo transfer about two weeks prior. Earlier that morning, Olivia had left just as the sun rose to have her blood drawn and find out if the transfer had worked and resulted in a pregnancy. Our fertility clinic nurse, Jennifer, who supported us through the entire process and is a candidate for sainthood in our book, called around noon and left a voicemail with the results. We left work early and came home so we could listen to the voicemail together. Hearts pounding, we pressed play. Jennifer was upbeat, getting right to the punchline. Congratulations, you're pregnant. We'll do another blood check in two days. It had been a long road. Nearly two years had passed since we first started trying to start a family. Olivia and I embraced, feeling thrilled and overwhelmed and relieved. The news that we would be parents made an already exciting day even sweeter. Excellent. And... Sadly, <laughs> more heartbreak followed, and yet you kept on. So yeah. tell us, and you call yourself in this book, Keegan, the IVF <laughs> dad. Yeah. Um, I've, the biggest first question I have is why write a book? And you answered it. You said in the book, infertility sucks. <laughs> but what is a longer answer? What what drove you to write about this? Well, uh, it was definitely how much infertility sucks primarily. But, uh, you know, I, I started writing without really an intention of this turning into a book. Uh, I started writing thinking maybe I uh, that just recording some pieces of our story would be both helpful and kind of cathartic for me uh, just to, to process what, everything we'd been through. Uh, but that you know, at some point, maybe I'd see if, uh, you know, a, a magazine wanted to share it, or maybe I'd start a blog or something like that. But as I continued to write and write, um, both about our story and adding some informational pieces, I realized that one of the things that stuck, sticks out so much from our journey is that um, in the world of infertility, which is a, a 
not a small corner of the world. One in eight um, couples uh, experience infertility, so it's more than many people would think. Um, but there's a, a pretty good amount of resources online. Um, most of those are primarily written by and for women, which is totally understandable given the, the nature of fertility treatments. Uh, but one thing that really stuck with me through our journey was that I wish there had been more voices from other men who were going through the process to, to help me understand a little bit more what to expect and how to navigate the challenges. And so as I continued to write and, and uh, you know, kind of crossed 5,000 words and 10,000 words and was suddenly at 30,000 words with a whole lot more to go, I realized I think this is actually turning into a book. And as I talked about it with Olivia and a few other um, friends who uh, are writers and authors, they said, you know, I think this is this, this is something that could really fill a need um, and something that could help out uh, not just other men, but other couples who are going through infertility treatment. Because what I try to do in the book is um, partly share our story, because I think stories are the way that we learn um, best from others, um, but also to share some information uh, and really tactics that focus on um, being a supportive partner during IVF and also tactics to support yourself um, as a man and as a couple going through IVF because uh, fertility treatment is something that can be very isolating and lonely. Uh, and I think so, uh, self-care is not something that a lot of men are particularly good at. And so if I can provide some tips there, uh, provide some information to empower and also share my story and, and give them something to connect to and feel a little less alone, uh, then, then I'll have achieved what I hope to through this book. Well, there's so many things you raised just in that first <laughs> salvo. Um, this idea that it's one in eight couples that struggle with infertility, I think, mm -hmm. would shock a lot of people. The reason it doesn't shock me is because the Enterprise uh, published a letter from you in 2019. This is how we first started becoming aware mm -hmm. of you and the whole IVF problem, I guess I'll call it. Um, yeah. You had written because um, you were excited about healthcare coverage uh, being extended for large group insurers yes. um, for three cycles. But this one in eight, do you think so many people are unaware of that just because of something else you mentioned? Uh, people don't talk about it much? Oh, I think that's that's definitely the primary reason. You know, people obviously feel uh, a lot of shame around infertility and a lot of hesitance to share it with with other people um, for for understandable reasons, right? It, it tends to happen at a time when you um, first are are really wanting to have a child. Uh, it tends to happen at a time in your life where a lot of other people around you, friends, family, etc., are also having kids. Um, and it's also something that uh, I think we all kind of take for granted. I have spoken with many people in the infertility community and have talked about um, education and, and how, um, how we're educated about our own fertility. Um, and the extent of that for most people in, in high school health class was really just learning how not to get pregnant. Um, sometimes with the, you know, the such a level of threat that you you left high school health class thinking, boy, if I even like dance too close uh, with, with uh, a partner that we might uh, accidentally get pregnant. So um, it's very much focused on that sort of negative. How do you not get pregnant? But uh, there's very little information offered, I think, um, proactively to people about uh, things you need to know about getting pregnant. So I think that combined with the shame uh, that many people feel understandably around it, make it very hard to share. But certainly what 
I have found happened, um, you know, as, as soon as we shared the article in the Enterprise back in 2019, uh, I, I tell the story in the book of uh, going to uh, going on a walk literally that evening and running into a neighbor uh, and striking up a conversation where we found out that this person had also experienced infertility with their partner um, in, in their life. Uh, and that was a, a story that repeated itself over and over as we opened up. Uh, we, we were um, certainly shocked to find out how many people we knew and how many close friends we had who were experiencing this as well. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, uh, the excerpts of the book you sent me that I just loved, and I should say that we're recording this interview on the Friday before Father's Day. <laughs> um, it'll, you know, be posted just after Father's Day. But there is this sense in our culture at large about certain things that make up manliness. And you have a whole list of these phrases. And I'm just going to read some of them because I, I do think you're right. Education could make such a difference. These things that are in our culture that we don't really think about. Here's some of the lists that Keegan has in his book. Men address problems by taking action. Guys fix things. Man up. Men shouldn't show too much emotion. It makes them look weak. Boys don't cry. Men shouldn't ask for help. Real men help themselves. And the list goes on and on. Um... Real guys don't wear certain types of clothes, listen to certain types of music, and you say fill in the blank with hundreds of other examples. And then the last one you have is being a father is part of what makes somebody a man. So just if you could talk a little about yourself as a man <laughs> and um maybe your own upbringing that made you able to kind of stand back and look at these things for what they are, uh, fallacies, really. <laughs> I don't know, mean a wordplay no. there. But just tell us a little about how, how you developed as a boy and then as a man. What were your parents like growing up? What, what was yeah. your childhood like? Well, I always say I, I think I've been I'm very fortunate to have a father who uh, I, I don't think um, you know, exemplified or or showed too many of those stereotypes. Um, so I'm I'm very fortunate in that sense. You know, my father was very involved from from the start uh, of our lives, and it's funny now. I'm uh, I've had family members or friends who know my father see me with with Eliza, our daughter. You know, at the the playground or something, and I'm you know running around right behind her, chasing her and and helping her go up the steps to go on the slide and things like that. And they'll say, boy, you look exactly like your father did when you were that age. Um, so he, he was always there, always involved, always uh, helping us. Um, and so I think that that obviously set me up very well, uh, not to, uh, at least to be able to be at a point in my life where I could kind of challenge and, and question that list of stereotypes that you read out. Um, but I, I think even with that being true, um, there are some of those stereotypes that I certainly found over the course of our infertility journey. I had to kind of interrogate within myself and figure out how to deal with, you know, there's, there's one about men taking action and fixing things. Um, that one was really hard for me because with infertility, one of the, the hard things among many hard things is that there are often no clear answers and even really sophisticated treatments like IVF do not guarantee success. Um, the, the success rate for um, IVF, despite 
many amazing scientific advances is still only about somewhere in the 40 to 60 percent range, kind of depending on age and other factors. So you're doing this really intensive uh, intervention that's still not guaranteeing success. So, of course, that kind of sent me into this idea of, well, this is something I can't fix or get an answer to. Um, but I, I struggled at points um, around, you know, just trying to research more information, thinking, well, if I if I maybe read some more studies or read some more information or find another blog or another person who writes about IVF or another podcast about IVF, maybe I'll find an answer there that can that can fix things for us. And of course, that wasn't the case, right? We just had to wait, and um, it was good to to get more information that that made me more able to participate actively with Olivia in the process and be involved. Um, but there, it wasn't possible to just take action. There's a lot of waiting in fertility treatments, and there's a lot that's just out of our control in the end. Uh, so that certainly, you know, pressed that button for me. But uh, again, I feel fortunate to to have had a father and, and parents who really set me up to, to be able to push on these things. Um, but I also uh, wanted to, to kind of start the book by throwing those out there, because I think it's something that becomes so ingrained, it's almost second nature. And, and you know, for folks that may not have thought about those things, it could, could be a really an aha moment. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, ingrained, not just commercially, but <laughs> educationally and in, in so many different ways. So as you sat down, and I now understand a little of the process, that it wasn't like you thought, I'm going to write a book. It's like you were writing, you said, almost as a catharsis for yourself, and it turned into a blog, and it kept growing. But when you decided to construct it as a book, and you just mentioned you wanted to start out with some of these stereotypes, just tell us a little about that process. Walk us through, you know, how you built your book. What, what's in your book, and why did you put it where you did? Yeah. So I, I think that I ended up with kind of three buckets of things that I weave together in the book. The first bucket is just our story. Um, and I thought that that was really important. I kind of weave it in and out, um, you know, dip in and out of the excerpt, because that's kind of the narrative that keeps the story moving is we were actually living this process ourselves. And so uh, the chapter is really progressed through the process of going through fertility treatments from the first chapter where we're just kind of coming to grips with, uh, I think this is not working for us, we need help, to chapters that talk about how do you actually get a diagnosis and what do the different tests look like, to what about what are the actual treatment options, um, what about you know how do you kind of figure out which type of fertility clinic or treatment um, center might be right for you because there are a lot of options there. Um, and so our story kind of weaves through that because we went through all of those steps. So that's kind of the first piece. The second piece is really informational. Um, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of acronyms, a lot of medical terminology. So I wanted to make sure that readers have um, just some clear information about um, really at a high level sort of what the process looks like to help them feel empowered to be involved in the process. You know, you're going to be having conversations with uh, with your doctor, with other members of your medical team, conversations with your partner about what do we want to do and where where do our limits lie. Um, and so having a, a basic understanding of how things work and what your options are was really important to me too. And then the third piece is, is a little bit more of the mental health piece um, around how do you, what are, what are the things you might be feeling throughout this process and what are ways that you can support yourself while you're going through it and also support your partner. Um, and so uh, uh, 
what was really helpful as I wrote was um, I, I had a really good team of supporters and, and, and smart people to help me. Um, I had a, a very good friend who's an author who uh, did a lot of editing and kind of helped me clarify the structure. That was great. Um, I spoke with uh, one of our one of our local uh, author friends here in Altamont, Ted Gupp. I don't think he'd mind me uh, saying. I reached out to him and he was very helpful in uh, providing uh, insight into his writing process and, and was really invaluable in kind of talking through how to structure um, structure a book so that it you know really uh, makes the reader compelled to read on, but also you know feels accessible and, and understandable. So uh, I, I had a really good team who helped me kind of realize that the, there were those three different kind of things going on in the book. Um, and from there, it was just kind of weaving them together, which I think. I'm, I'm pleased with how it turned out because it's not just one thing. It's not just, you know, a bunch of chapters of kind of the more dry informational piece. It's, it's really, I, I work to weave things all in together so that, because that's kind of the way things work when you're going through the process, right? It's not just um, all information. You're, you're dealing with the emotional aspect of it. You're dealing with trying to make sense of what are all these different acronyms while at the same time, you're just kind of getting through day to day. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how things worked out. And like I said, I was very fortunate to have some really good guidance along the way. Yeah, that sounds like a good way you call it your journey. And then that's the narrative force that pulls the reader along and you include the information. And the part that I think I find most interesting is this idea of supporting your partner and yourself. You know, we think of childbirth as a woman's <laughs> uh, role because the baby yeah. is growing inside the woman. And I was lucky enough to be with my daughter when she was giving birth. And I it suddenly thought, oh, my goodness, this is how my husband must have felt. Because, you know, 40 hours of labor and the most you can do is massage her back and braid her hair. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're really outside of the process. So just yeah. tell us a little about and you went through three different cycles, right? Three different IVF cycles you and Olivia went through. Yeah. So you yeah. you really suffered more than you know, most people with this having to support the woman who's bearing this fetus. Just tell yeah. us a little about about that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I, again, I feel pretty fortunate because Olivia and I have always been, um, been pretty strong communicators and, and good at sharing, you know, how are we feeling and what do we need? Um, but it was, it was definitely a process of, of navigating that. And, and the most important thing I can say is that, uh, we had to be really open and honest with each other and communicate a lot, um, and, and have those conversations, you know, difficult conversations at times around what if this doesn't work? What does that look like? What does that mean for our lives? You know, are we, what are other paths to parenthood? Are we interested in those other paths to parenthood? Um, and so, you know, it was, it was certainly difficult, but um, just open communication was so important. Um, and and then it, it was definitely important for me too to learn. Um, and this is, this is where, I try to touch on that combination, as you noted, of, you know, supporting yourself, supporting your partner. Um, you know, there's there's the old kind of joke of in every airplane, there's that sign of, you know, don't put the other oxygen, don't put the oxygen mask on a passenger. You got to put on your own oxygen mask first. And that's uh, kind of like an, an analogy for this process is, you know, I had to be very conscientious about making sure that I was 
supporting Olivia and taking on additional duties, right? There's, there's times certainly in IVF treatment where physically she was really taxed, um, just like in pregnancy. You know, there, there are times when um, that's incredibly taxing on a woman's body um, when, you're, uh, when she was getting injections of very powerful hormones that was very taxing on her very you know tiring um you know you you just have that that difficulty and so there were times there where certainly i had to uh check in very much with olivia and say you know what do you need what can i what can i take on are there different things that i should be prioritizing um in terms of just kind of getting through our day-to-day um but at the same time um, you know, making sure that I still kind of understood, am, am I giving myself enough time to, to kind of meet my own needs? Uh, because I know I'm not going to be there in the best way for her if I'm, if I'm not giving myself some time to. Um, so it's a, it's a tough balance to navigate. And there's definitely times when it's out of, out of whack, right? That's just the way it is. Um, but uh, in looking back, I think it was a great learning experience. And I certainly feel um, that we're, we're both stronger uh, for having gone through it, even though it was certainly not easy at the time. Oh, I can't imagine. And you you reveal some like really personal thoughts that went through your head or could go through a man's head, you know, mm-hmm. about what's going wrong. And you know, it's I wonder about the other part you care so much in your writing to say that you'd like to build this community of men. I'm looking for the quote. Um, You know, this idea that your dream is to be able to have men talking to each other and supporting each other through this process. And I just wonder if you could talk, has that happened in your writing? Like, you know, this man, I'm assuming it was a man, maybe it wasn't on the dog walk after the piece appeared in the Enterprise. I mean, have there been these kinds of connections and how do you foster them? Because that's really changing an entire culture, not just supporting your own partner. (laughs) That's, you know, changing the way men interact in our society. It is. And I've definitely found, you know, it's, it's one interaction at a time, but I can definitely already see it happening, um, you know, for, for better or for worse. Uh, one of the big things authors engage in today is social media, right? You get a, get the word out about your book via social media and, and other, um, other ways. And, and one of the things about infertility is there is a very, very large uh, community of people going through infertility on social media. Um, and that's a helpful way to connect, I think, and be more open. You know, there, there are a lot of people on there who I think are more comfortable um, in that anonymous setting, sharing what they're going through. Um, and while there's definitely predominantly, um, you know, women who are going through the process, as I've started to engage more with it, uh, there really is a, a growing number, I think, of, of men who are who are sharing their stories and kind of doing the same thing and saying, here's what I went through with a, a miscarriage, with years of infertility treatment, uh, with other really difficult things um, around fertility struggles. And so um, it's it's been um, just one interaction at a time, but it's it's really added up. You know, it's, it's funny, one of the um, most interesting things that happened after uh, our article in 2019 in the Enterprise was I sat down to open my computer one morning and I had an email from a reader who had found our story just by, I think, through Google search, um, who was living in Los Angeles. You know, not somebody who had really any, not somebody who was from the area, had any connection to the area, but they just searched, found the article um, and were able to 
uh, get my email address and just reached out and said, Hey, I really, uh, it was, it was a man who said my, my wife and I are going through this right now. Uh, it was really meaningful to see that you were able to be open about that. And so we were able to correspond a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think it's just that power of first kind of knowing that you're not alone, um, because it can, can feel so isolating. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's definitely one one step at a time, and uh, I wish it were easier to to wave a magic wand and change all these things about our culture. But I, I think that this is these are the building blocks. Um, you know, if, if I can connect with a few hundred or a couple thousand, maybe if I'm really lucky, lucky people through this book and doing this podcast and other other uh, ways of reaching out, then um, hopefully that kind of continues a groundswell. Yeah, you wrote, I'll consider this book a success if even one guy out there picks it up, reads it, and feels a little bit less alone. So you've already accomplished that because your person in Los Angeles, whoever right. he was. But tell us, how would people obtain this book? Is it published yet? When will it be published? What, what should people look for? Sure. So it's coming out on Amazon uh, in July. So you'll be able to get it, uh, you know, hardcover for Kindle. Um, so it'll be uh, out shortly in just a couple of weeks here. We're finishing up the last formatting and proofing and all that. Um, and, and one thing I should also say that's exciting about it, uh, and I should also mention, uh, you can also go to my website, which is the IVFDad.com. Pretty easy to remember. Again, the ivfdad.com, um, and you can see links there. You can you can download uh, an excerpt um, of the book. I would love for folks to read it. Um, and one other one other thing I should uh, make sure that I say is uh, that a part of the proceeds from the book will go to uh, foundations who make grants to families who have lower resources to pay for fertility treatments. Um, and so that's that's one uh, additional piece that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, like you said, kind of the whole starting piece of this was writing in a couple of years ago when New York State expanded um, insurance mandates for IVF uh, for large companies, which was really exciting for so many people. Uh, but the reality is for so many people out there, uh, it's still an incredible expense to even go through one round of IVF. And like I said earlier, there's no guarantee of success. So it's, it's a big um stress to have that financial burden uh, in addition to the physical and emotional toll you're already going through. So um, that's why I wanted to make the book uh, also have this charitable aspect of, of donating some of the proceeds to these foundations that make grants to families in need so that they can defray some of these costs. Um, that's excellent. How much does one round typically cost? Yeah, it, it varies, but um, you know, depending on the the number of meds and and uh, where particularly you are, it can be really anywhere from five thousand up to twenty thousand, sometimes more. Um, so it can be quite expensive. And, and like I said, the hardest thing is you don't know that there's going to be success at the end. Um, so you can you can end up having spent fifteen thousand dollars, gone through all of this hardship, and still not be pregnant, which is one of the really hard things about it. Has it changed the way you and Olivia parent, you know, having been through this crucible, really, <laughs> um, it, it has Eliza coming out of it, finally yeah. a healthy, lovely baby, um, now a little girl, what, does it change how you parent? Oh, I definitely think so. You know, I, I think that 
the biggest thing it changed is, uh, you know, any parent knows that there are difficult moments in parenting, <laughs> uh, moments when you're, you know, juggling a lot of things and, you know, uh, stressed by meeting the demands or, you know, the little ones just, you know, has, has plopped down somewhere and is screaming, refusing to move or something like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're really hard things in addition to all the many joys that parenting brings. Uh, and I think that above all, going through all these hardships to just have Eliza here with us uh, has made us more mindful in those difficult moments um, that we, we worked really hard for this. Um, we, we knew there was going to be hard things about being parents, but we uh, went through the hardest part, just getting to that point of being parents. Uh, and so I, I think it makes us both more patient in the hard moments and also more mindful of really um, just trying to enjoy uh, all the the really wonderful, joyful moments of parenting. I mean, we walk around Altamont right now, and Eliza's favorite uh, favorite habit right now is to go and pick the buttercups and dandelions, and um, you know, just to see the wonder on her face in um, doing something that we think is so mundane is is a really good reminder for us to slow down and enjoy those moments. Um, and I, and I think we do that more given everything that we went through. And I bet you enjoy Halloween. <laughs> That's where you began with the Halloween. <laughs> we, we definitely, definitely enjoy Halloween. And uh, Eliza was not entirely uh, aware of what was going on last year, although she was very entertained by it. But I, I think this year she'll be uh, a little more aware of it. Um, but the the good and exciting news is actually Eliza is going to be a big sister. We are expecting oh. our second child um, in in uh, the middle of October. So. Uh, Halloween is going to be really busy this year. Oh my gosh! Well, did you have yeah. to go through the whole IVF thing yet again? And uh, and this time yeah. it was just one cycle, or have you? Yeah, it's well. So we sort of had to go through it again. So one of the one of the um, really exciting um, and useful advancements in IVF in the last fifteen or so years was um, an improvement in the ability to freeze embryos mm-hmm. um, and and use them later. So um, this is a little bit of a long explanation but um the the embryo that is now due the the baby that's growing and due in october um was created in um before eliza actually so this was in the very first round of ivf this embryo was created has been frozen since then um and now um you know we, we kind of after having eliza went back and said one of the nice things is, again, we don't have to go through all the, the entire process of IVF of the drugs and, um, you know, Olivia having to go through uh, having surgery to extract the eggs. We just had this embryo frozen that we can then later use. And, and luckily, the freezing technology is really good now. Um, and so we were able to take that one out, place it into Olivia, and here we are. So uh, it was a little easier than the prior times. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how wonderful. Well, our time has flown. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listener? And and include the name of your book, because I don't think we've had the title. Yeah, so the title is uh, The IVF Dad. Um, Again, it'll be out on Amazon uh, next month in July. Um, And I think the the most important thing is, uh, I just want you to know, if you're listening to this and you have been in the shoes of walking through infertility or pregnancy losses, or if you're on that road right now, uh, just know that you're not alone. Um, there are a lot of other folks out there going through, there are a lot of resources out there. There are ways to connect, uh, and as, as isolating as it can feel and as scary as it can be, 
the most important first step I can recommend is just reach out to somebody. It can be me. You can, I have an email address, the IVF at gmail.com. You're welcome to reach out, but um, I, I strongly recommend just reaching out and sharing it because as you share the problem, uh, it will feel like it's not just yours anymore and that you have some support out there. Um, and I know how scary that can feel. I know how hard it can be, um, but it will make the journey easier. And, and I know that you will find folks out there who can be, a support for you um, and you don't have to go through this really hard journey alone well thank you Keegan and I hope you send in this a birth announcement come October yeah. <laughs> <laughs>